from 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 10, 13. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptised into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Thanks, Wayne, Grandpa. I'm also part of the Grandpa Club uh, with my little uh, grandson, Jeremy. Uh, and I want to say a happy Father's Day to my dad, who has COVID. I'm sorry uh, that's taken you out, Dad, but thanks for being a great dad uh, over the years uh, and giving me a love of God and sport and so many other things. Uh, so on your dad. Um, I want to show you a great moment. So happy Father's Day to all the da other dads out there. So you give him a cheer. Yay. Uh, uh, I want to show you a great moment from a local footy grand final here on the Central Coast last weekend. Now, number seven is the guy to watch out for. He is uh, just, just it's 20 seconds to go in the match. Number seven there with the ball now. He's Josh Muddle from our church. So there's only about 15 seconds to go there. The entrance Tigers are behind by four points. But the big prop who came on four minutes earlier scores a try. Tries awarded. And so that makes the score 18 all. And then we're going to have the uh, conversion to come to see what happens. Here we go. What do you reckon is going to happen here? The big victory. Now, now, look at that. Give it up for the entrance Tigers, hey? Uh, and, and Josh Muddle and the crew. Um, 
so uh, yeah, here is Josh. I'll show you a photo of Josh uh, celebrating the win. He's the one highest up there uh, with the biggest yell on his face. Um, you know, it, it, the season didn't start well for Josh, but he stuck at it, persevered, uh, and it was just a, it turned out to be a great year. Uh, here he is holding the trophy with his uh, family. Dad's not there because Dad's behind the camera proudly uh, taking the photos. That's Mick. Uh, and and uh, here he is with his grandfather uh, with, the, with the medal around his neck. Um, great, there's some great moments uh, that come throughout life. And for you, Josh, I reckon that'll be one of those moments uh, you look back on for years to come. And so will your family uh, as well. Um, the passage we're looking at today is all about taking hold of the prize. Uh, and as Haley set it up, so 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, run in such a way as to get the prize. Uh, in life, golden moments come along, like that grand final victory last week, where you just go out of the blue, this, this great moment. Uh, but if we're followers of Jesus, we are striving for the ultimate goal. And the ultimate goal is the, is the prize or the trophy, the crown of, of uh, eternal life. And so the Bible says the Christian life is like a race uh, and we're to persevere and stick at it and pace ourselves, keeping our eyes on the prize because there's too much at stake. Eternal life is at stake. And so there's so many distractions going to come along the way, but the Bible says, no, no, keep your eyes fixed on that ultimate prize. Um, so I want you to open up your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, this is the part of the Bible that we've been working our way through recently. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the young Christian church in Corinth. So this is 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. So what is the prize? Well, for us Christians, the prize, the crown, the trophy is eternal life. But it's not just about me, myself, crossing the finish line and taking hold of the crown. Uh, it's having those you love there with you on that day. That's part of the package of the crown. Let, let me show you 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 where Paul spells it out. He says, what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory? What's the trophy that we're striving for? Uh, the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes, is it not you, indeed you? are our joy and our glory. What a great pastor Paul was. Uh, these little churches that he started throughout the ancient world, he loved them dearly. And for him, he was striving not just to cross the finish line himself uh, and to meet Jesus and get that welcome home, but he wanted as many people as possible from all those churches to be there with him on the last day and he, he, he strove and he disciplined himself and he lived in such a way as he headed towards that. And I reckon for us parents, you know, it's Father's Day today. Uh, for us parents, if we follow Jesus, we want to finish the race ourselves. 
But surely our greatest desire, if we are followers of Jesus, is we want our kids to be there with us, uh, to cross the line with us. We want our parents to be there with us. We want all those we love to, to cross the finish line together. And I reckon this helps us gain perspective on life because there are so many good goals that will come along in life. So many things to chase after, uh, you know, sporting dreams and sporting glories. Uh, there's, you know, buying a house, uh, kind of raising a family, being respected at work. There's so many things that we give ourselves to, but the Bible puts before us that ultimate destination, heaven, the new creation, standing before Jesus and receiving, hearing those words, well done, welcome home. Uh, that's the ultimate prize that we must never allow our eyes to drift from. That's the goal. Uh, and if we love our families and those around about us, our heart's deepest longing is for them to be with us on that day. And so Paul appeals to each of us, run in such a way as to get the prize. Just show us the, uh, the quote again there, the next one. Run in such a way as to get the prize. And the key warning Paul has in this passage is about disqualification. Don't let anything disqualify you from the prize. Have a look at verse 26. Therefore, I don't run like someone running aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body. I make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. As I think back over my life, uh, I've always been a lover of sport, sport I've been involved in, but also uh, watching it. And there's been a number of moments that stand out for me, and so often they're, they're moments of tragedy and disqualification. Uh, and some of you, I'm sure, will be able to relate to this. So I don't know if you remember Jane Saville in the um, 2000 Sydney Olympic Games, and the whole nation is watching on. None of us care about walking races until it's an Australian in the Sydney Olympics, and then we go, this is... And she was in the lead, and she was about to enter the stadium, uh, and she kind of... She was about to reach out and take hold of the gold, and then this guy with a red disc came out, and we wanted to shoot him. Uh, <laughs> but <clears throat> she was disqualified from the race. Uh, she must have broken into a walk, in his opinion, uh, and, and so she was disqualified. And it was just a devastating scene. Uh, you know, she could almost touch it, and it was taken from her. Lance Armstrong, uh, he was the Don Bradman of the cycling world. You know, he recovers from cancer to win the, the, Le Tour de France seven times. Just an extraordinary human achievement. But then all his victories were stripped from him when it was discovered that there was systemic uh, doping that he was part of, performance-enhancing drugs, and, uh, and as a result, all his glories were taken from him. Uh, the Australian women's relay team, I don't know if you remember this one, but they won the race at the World Championships. They actually touched first, and they hadn't done anything wrong 
until one of the swimmers dived in to celebrate before the race was officially over. Apparently all the, all the, all the swimmers have to finish before you can dive in. And so one of them dived in uh, and just a heartbreaking moment uh, of, it, of the medal being taken from them. Paul says, as we run the race, as we strive for that ultimate prize, make sure you're not disqualified along the way. And you think, well, what's going to disqualify us in the race? And I reckon it's strange to hear Paul talk like this because of all people, he knew the grace of God. He knew that the only reason that he could cross the finish line, the only confidence he could have, is that Jesus died for him. And so when he stands on that last day, he would say, it's not because of me, but because of what Jesus done, uh, what Jesus did for me. That's why I'm here. Uh, that's why I can be welcomed into heaven. So Paul knew that so clearly. But notice it doesn't make Paul kind of complacent. Paul doesn't sort of kick back and go, oh, Jesus has got it all covered. I'll just drift through life without a care. No, he disciplined himself. He ran with purpose. He fixed his eyes on the prize um, because his prize was not just for himself but for those he loved to cross the finish line together with him. So what does disqualification look like? Well, at this point, Paul reminds us what happened to the people of God back in the Old Testament. Um, and so, you know, we're talking about the people of Israel who had been slaves in Egypt and God rescued them through, you know, remember all those plagues that came on the land of Egypt? God rescued them. He led them miraculously through the Red Sea. Uh, on dry ground. And Paul says that was like their baptism. And then in the desert wilderness for 40 years, God fed them and provided for them. And Paul says that's because Christ was with them. Like us, they enjoyed so many of the privileges of being children of God. But look at chapter 10, verse 5 where Paul says, Nevertheless, God was not pleased with them, with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. A whole generation of God's people were disqualified from entry into the promised land. Uh, their children went in, but the parents missed out. Uh, and Paul wants us to reflect what went wrong. Uh, and there were three big issues that led to their disqualification. Idolatry, sexual immorality, and grumbling. If you're looking at the passage, idolatry in verse 7, don't be idolaters. Verse 8, we shouldn't commit sexual immorality. Verse 10, don't grumble. Now those are the big three things as Paul reflects back on that previous generation. And he says, they're the three things that disqualified them... And we need to take the warning today. Uh, and just like 2,000 years ago when Paul wrote this letter, we need to take the warning today. Now, which of those, as you look at them, which of those do you feel like is the biggest temptation for you? Uh, which of those do you feel like could most easily distract you from the race uh, or lead you from veering off course? 
uh, and not taking the prize. Um, let, me, let me pick them one at a time. So starting with sexual immorality, you've got to acknowledge we live in such a sexualized society, don't we? Even in my lifetime, just the, the changes in our views on sexuality and how much it's gone from you know, behind the bedroom door into the open forum. Uh, if we're not on our guard, it, it, sexual immorality will find its way into our homes, onto our TV screens, onto our computer screens, our phones. Uh, uh, and, but it's not just about what we... It, it's, the, it's the thought world, isn't it? Uh, and it, it's just so pervasive in our society. And so we need to be on our guard that that's not who we are. We're called to be different. Uh, we're called to embrace God's views on sexuality. And I just want to give a word to parents. We need to be especially on our guard about this. Our kids notice what we do. They notice kind of what norms are acceptable for us. Uh, and if we are pushing the boundaries, then we shouldn't be surprised if they are pushing the boundaries as well. God is warning each one of us, uh, and it's been an issue right throughout the history of humanity. Sexual, if sexual immorality has crept into your life, even at the level of temptation, then today is the day to take the warning, to actually hear the word of God and go, I need to not just allow that to percolate away, I need to do something to address it. I need to bring it to God confess it to him, ask his forgiveness and his help. Uh, and we'll do that at the end. What about grumbling? I reckon of all the three, you just go, grumbling? Grumbling just seems like such an ordinary thing. Could it really trip us up enough to disqualify us from the prize? I reckon uh, next to sexual immorality and idolatry, grumbling just looks very commonplace, doesn't it? Uh, I don't think we regard it as big a sin as sexual immorality or idolatry, but it was one of the big three uh, for the people of Israel. And again, we live in a society where grumbling is utterly out of control, don't you think? It, we, our society is, is made it into an art form, uh, and it's just a way of life that is so pervasive that we don't even think about it, because it's all about my rights as the consumer, and I just expect everything to fall in line. And if it doesn't, then I'm going to find someone to blame and to grumble against. Um, so gossip, slander, complaining. I suspect this is a real temptation for many of us. And I, I want to give another word to parents. Right? Father's Day, I want to press this word home for us. Um, I have seen the devastating impact of grumbling firsthand. Uh, I think about a good friend of mine who we went to church together when I was a young man uh, in, at university. Um, his family, so my, my mate's family would all go along to church. They were all quite active in serving in their church. And every Sunday they'd have lunch after church and sometimes they'd invite me along. And I used to call that, that lunch the Sunday roast. Uh, because what they did is they just criticised basically everything that had taken place over the last couple of hours. Uh, and I don't even think they realised just how scathing it was and how much they had come to complain 
uh, about the people of God. Um, and, and that critical spirit, I believe, had an ongoing legacy in my friend's life. Uh, and, and it came to the point where no church was ever good enough. Uh, because he had just kind of, in his mind, he had an idea of what church should be like. And no church ever lived up to it. But that, in turn, had an impact and a legacy on his kids, where uh, they uh, turned away from the Lord. Uh, and I just don't think they'd ever seen a, a valuing of the preciousness of being part of God's people. I reckon Paul, the Apostle Paul, is such a beautiful role model. If anyone had reason to grumble, it was Paul, don't you think? Uh, people just treated him so appallingly, but he always treats God's people with respect, with love, uh, with a genuine care. He doesn't kind of fly off the handle and say, oh, I'm out of here, this, you, you guys, you're just a bunch of losers. Uh, there's none of that going on for Paul. He will speak a hard word, but he does it out of fatherly care. Uh, he does it out of love. And he knows just how precious the church is. The, these are the people, look around, these are the people that Jesus shed his own blood for. And Paul knew it. And so he regarded the people of God with great preciousness, with great regard, with great respect and love. Let's guard our lips and our hearts from grumbling against what is so precious to God. Thirdly, come on to idolatry. When I ask you which of those three is the big issue for you, I imagine not many of you thought of idolatry. Um, you know, because we Aussies, the idea of bowing down to a statue of stone or wood, I, I just find no attraction. I have never felt tempted to bow down to a statue like that. Look, I'm not going to do a survey right now, but... It's just, there's just no pull in my heart towards that. Um, but then God's word makes a connection where God says a couple of times, greed is idolatry. As soon as you make that connection, I realize, man, this is a big issue. This is something that comes close to my heart. Uh, if greed is idolatry because it is about worshipping created things rather than the creator. And once God helps draw that connection, we realise that Christians living in Australia, this is probably our big issue uh, because our society is just rampantly chasing after possessions and money as if they were God. And they are the things we put our confidence in. Um, in Australia, I reckon sport can become idolatry. Uh, and I think we need to be on guard for that. I don't, I don't want you to get me wrong. I love sport. My dad gave me a great love for sport. It was a really important way of us kind of bonding. And it was just such an important part of my childhood. And, and it still is. And I love playing sport. I love watching sport. I love watching my kids play sport. Uh, it's, it's, it's good, right? Um, but here in Australia, there's a real danger that sport can become an idol. It can go from being a good thing to being some sort of ultimate thing that we end up ordering our lives around.
So, I've uh, got a question for you. Um, how do you diagnose whether I have a problem or whether you have a problem with idolatry? I've got, I've got a number of questions for you. I just want you to think in the quietness of your own heart how you would answer them. And, and you know, I'm not going to tell you to do it out loud so you can be honest, but what do you most strive for in life? Uh, what is the goal that you most strive for? What do you make most sacrifices for? What are you willing to put everything else aside to go for this thing? What gives you the greatest joy? What thrills your heart more than anything else? What do you put your confidence in? Uh, what is it that when it is taken away, life becomes uncertain? And what do you most want for your children? If you could say there's one thing out of everything, what is it that you most want for your kids? So just to take a moment to honestly reflect on those questions. Um, I might send them around in prayer and use emails so you can kind of reflect a little bit personally uh, at home as well. Because if we're followers of Jesus, the answer to all those questions should be God uh, and his son Jesus Christ. And if you honestly reflect and discover, oh, something else is taking the place of God in my heart and my life, then there's a good chance that idolatry has become something that you need to come to terms with and bring it to God and ask his forgiveness and his help moving forward. So God wants us to take warning from the past and run in such a way as to get the prize. Verse 11, so this is chapter 10, verse 11. Paul says, These things happened to them, to the nation of Israel in the past, as examples and were written down as warnings for us, on whom the fulfillment of the ages have come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he'll also provide a way out so that you can endure it. God will sustain you in the race. Uh, he will never crush you and devastate. He will never force you to give up. So we need to trust him as we persevere uh, in the race. Um, but we need to take warning as well. We need to be vigilant about sex, about sexually, uh, sorry, about sex, greed, grumbling, idolatry. Recognize that these things have tripped God's people up in the past, and I mustn't be somehow so think I'm so good that I'm immune from those things. And what we ought to do is fight the temptation, humble ourselves before God, ask His forgiveness. And how good is it to know our Father takes our sin away? As far as the east is from the west, he will wash us clean. So humble ourselves before God, ask his forgiveness, ask his help. God, I need your strength to run the race because I, don't, I, haven't, I haven't got the, the stamina. Uh, I can't run this race alone. And so we commit it to God and say, please help me persevere in the race. Help me take hold of your promises and so fix my eyes on Jesus and the finish line that that becomes 
the, the ultimate thing that I'm striving for. Uh, and we'll pray to that end in just a moment. But earlier I showed some of the haunting disqualification moments. Uh, for me, perhaps the greatest Olympic moment in my lifetime was in the 1992 Olympics. Derek Redmond was running his race, I think it was the, like the 400 metres or something like that. He tore his hamstring, he collapsed onto the track in pain. And he thought, a devastating moment, you know, his whole life leading to this event, he, he goes down, he bravely got up again and started limping around the track. And can you see the guy trying to catch up to him? That's his dad. Uh, and it's just a beautiful father-son moment. His dad ran onto the track to help him. And so together, arm in arm, they finished the race. Uh, and, and the officials came on and said, hey, 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 that's, that's not on. And, and the dad waved them away. Uh, you know, uh, and together they crossed the finish line. And I just think it is a beautiful, a beautiful moment. Um, I didn't realise I'd tear up. Because, but as I look out, some of you are tearing up and it's your fault, right? Uh, so to all the dads out there, there is a beautiful picture of how we run the race. We want to run in such a way as that we cross the finish line ourselves and we are utterly committed to helping our loved ones cross the line uh, together with us. And let that picture, that image, shape your life and your choices. I know we can't control everything uh, about the destiny of our kids and our loved ones, but we can influence it. Uh, and, and we can make decisions that will actually show the ones we love what really is important to us and our heart's desire for them as well. And I just want to say to all of us, there on the screen is a picture of church. This is what we're trying to do as a church, coming alongside one another as we run the race together, uh, encouraging comforting, urging one another. There'll be times when we trip up, times when we feel like giving up, times when we feel like I just can't press on. There's too much of a weight or a temptation or whatever. But what we can do is reach the goal together, cross the finish line. Uh, that's what we're here for. So that together we will hear those words from Jesus, welcome home. That's what we're striving for. Uh, will you pray with me? God, our Father, you are so good. You are so generous to us. Please forgive us when we grumble, when we're greedy, when we're tempted to sexual immorality. Forgive us and help us to flee from those things. Forgive us through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus. We are so thankful that he washes us clean. And Father, guard us from anything that might trip us up or lead us astray as we run the race. Change our hearts so that we will never forget your grace, so that we remember how precious your people are. Strengthen our marriages, 
our families, strengthen this church and all churches throughout the world. And Father, stir in us a longing not only to finish the race ourselves, but also give us a desire to see as many others cross the finish line with us as possible. Help us to to, to use our time and energy to that end. Make our lives count for eternity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.